0: us we have we're gradually going through uh the book we're going through the bible very gradually starting at the beginning and we are still in genesis and i'm gonna skip the backstory for the sake of time if you want to catch up and and know the backs the backdrop to our story today you can watch the sermon videos or better yet just read it just read the bible just read genesis And we're in Genesis chapter 29 today, and uh, I'm going to talk about a woman who doesn't get a lot of attention in the scripture, and her name is Leah. I guess the American pronunciation would be Leah, but the more Hebrew tradition pronunciation would be Leah. And I want to look at this, her story this morning. And now, just so you know, it might sound like a chick flick, this sermon, in the beginning for a little bit. But just hang with me because there's something here for all of us. There is something here for every human being. Am I, is this on? What's going on? Is it that, is that okay? Is that on? Okay. Uh, so we talked about Jacob last time. And just briefly, if you weren't here, Jacob has, uh, he's got this history of, of deceit. He, he tricked his dad. He, he dressed up like his brother because his dad was blind, and he pretended to be his very hairy brother. It's a crazy story, but we, we talked about this last time. He put this goat hair, goat skin on his shoulders and tricked his blind father into giving him the birthright, the inheritance that belonged to his older twin brother Esau. And so by deceit, he tricked his dad into thinking that he was somebody else, okay? And of course, there's a bigger story over this whole thing because even though that was wrong, what he did, God actually all the while had a plan that through Jacob, through his descendants, the Messiah would come, that is Jesus. So it was all, it it fit into God's plan and, and that in itself is a story. It's a story of redemption. This whole entire story, it's a grand narrative, is a story of redemption. And I love that the Christian God is a redeemer. That's one of my favorite names for God. You know what redemption means? Redemption means that your worst oops. I mean, that was an oops when he did that. He tricked his dad into stealing his brother's estate. God forgives when we confess and repent, but not only does he forgive, he can actually work through our, the biggest mistakes of our lives. He can work through that. That is redemption. That's the whole idea of redemption. So as we move through the Bible, we're going to see this redemption process where God continually takes people's biggest blunders and he works with it and he turns something beautiful out of it. It's amazing. That's our redeeming God. So that's the quick backstory of Jacob. So now here he is. And last time we talked about how he's, he's going back to his mother's homeland. He's going back to the house of his uncle Laban to find a wife. Okay. And so let's pick up in, in uh, Genesis 29. Let's see what happens. Genesis 29. Uh, he, he, let me just, for the sake of time, because I really want to get to the heart of the story here, which is Leah. Leah. In Genesis chapter 29, I will just sum up briefly. He goes back to his uncle Laban's land, to, the, to his mother's country, and he finds this beautiful woman named Rachel, and he's smitten with her. I mean, he love at first sight. He just falls in love with her, and there's a kiss in this story. Okay, Genesis 29. So, he, uh, so Laban, his uncle, says to him, remember, now, One thing that we see is that you do reap what you sow. Yes, God is a redeemer. He forgives. Hallelujah. Sometimes, though, we do have to face the consequences of our our choices and of our sin. And in in this case, we see him reaping what he sowed because we'll see what happens. So his uncle Laban says to him in Genesis 29, verse 15, Laban said to Jacob... Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Okay, so he's going to stay at Uncle Laban's house for a while and do some work, right? Uncle Laban wants to know, what do I got to pay you? Verse 16, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17 says, Leah's eyes were delicate, literally in the Hebrew means weak. In other words, she needed a little eyeliner, perhaps, the mascara. Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. So Rachel was the more beautiful of the two sisters. Now Jacob loved Rachel, verse 18. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. And all the girls said, ah. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Like, let's have this wedding now. I've worked for you. I've fulfilled my seven years. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. So there's the wedding, the wedding night. Jacob, who had tricked his father, is now being tricked, and it's quite the trick. He's reaping what he has sowed as someone who is very deceptive, and, and conniving. So Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as maid. So it came to pass in the morning, verse 25, can you imagine that behold, it was Leah? And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Now, it might seem far-fetched that you could not know who you have married until the next morning. But if you understand the culture, it's entirely possible. Uh, I, I mean, there, there, were, there would have been a lot of veils, veils, and robes, and she was in on this. She, as we will see, she was in on this trick, so she would have not spoken a word. And you know, according to the Jewish custom and how weddings went in the wedding night, if you understand the culture, you can see how this would have been entirely possible. To wake up in the morning and realize, you ain't the one I thought I was marrying, right? So, um, so he's, he comes, it, it says, uh, he says to Laban in verse 25, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, in other words, the seven days of wedding feast, as was the custom, and we will give you this one also for the service, which you will serve with me still another seven years. So Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So Laban the uncle gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife also. Two wives, yes, it happened in Scripture. It didn't happen very much. It doesn't mean God was okay with it or sanctioned it. It just means they did it. I mean, just because something happened in this book does not mean God's stamp of approval was on it. I mean, problems happened, as they should and would, when there's more than one wife in the house. And so uh, so Jacob finally gets the pretty one, Rachel, but he's also kind of stuck with the accidental wife, Leah, and Laban gave his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as a maid. And and take note now, take note, we're getting into the story. Verse 30 says, Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. He loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban another seven years. And now let's just stop on verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, the original text in the Hebrew, it's literally hated is the word. Hated. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. First thing to note today, the first major point is that God sees He takes note when someone is less loved than they should be. It's as though he stands up from the throne of heaven, and he pays very close attention when someone is less loved than they should be. So what does he do? He opens her womb, and he makes the pretty one, the favored one, barren. And in this time and culture, a woman's worth was according to how much she could not only bear children, but especially have sons. Because sons received the inheritance. So God gives Leah this ability. As he does you and me. He gives us each these abilities, these gifts, right? These, these abil- he gives each one of us an ability to produce something great. To, sh- to have something to show for ourselves. To give something to the world. And so that's what he does for Leah. But he took that away for a time from Rachel. Because right now in the story, God, God he's, he's paying close attention to this woman who is not loved by her husband. So he gives her this ability, but here's the thing, when God gives us an ability, the purpose of use, the purpose of the gifts and the abilities God gives us is to be a blessing to others first, but even more than that, God gives us gifts and abilities to bring glory to him on this earth. I mean, at the end of our life, when we stand before God, we want to be able to say, when he says, what did you do with the gifts and abilities I gave to you? Oh, I used them to bring others to you. And here they are. Here they are. That music talent, that singing voice, that speaking, that writing, that that ability to sit and listen and understand and give counsel that servant heart that just shows up, hey, can I help you paint your cabinets? Whatever it is, what did you do with that ability that I gave? Well, God, I used it to bring, it was all about you. It was never about me and getting praise for myself. Oh no, it was about praise, bringing praise and glory to you. But what does Leah do? All of a sudden she realized she's a baby machine, right? Like, oh, I might not be pretty. I might not be love, but I can pop out some babies. And so let's see what happens. So verse 32 says, So Leah conceived, and she bore a son. Not only had a kid, but a son. And she called his name Reuben, which literally means a son. (laughs) For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. And what does she say next? Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Not somebody using their abilities to get people to approve of them and love them. Verse 33, then she conceived again and bore a son. Another one. God is really, really being favorable to her, right? And she named, she says, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, meaning heard, God heard me. So she conceived again and bore a son and said, Notice, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi, meaning attached. Not somebody continually trying so hard to do something to get some other human to love them. And we'd never do that. There's three layers of truth in this story. Number one, the obvious is that, you know, girls shouldn't expect that they're going to be able to keep a man by having a baby. I mean, that happens, but that's such a thin layer of truth. I mean, that's, that's the basic obvious lesson, but it goes so much deeper. That's just like one little thing you could take out of this. And again, God is the redeemer, He's the redeemer, every single child who's conceived never misses his attention, and he has a purpose and a plan for every single human being that is conceived. It like I said, it comes into his plan. so but there's something deeper. she's trying, as you can see, and as I've pointed out, she's trying so hard. To win the approval and the favor and the love of this fellow human being, her husband, through what she can do. Through what she can do. And you see that it's not working. Because after on the third try, on the third son, she says, now maybe this time I can get this man to love me. And it hasn't worked. So there's the second lesson, that God did not give you and I gifts and abilities to produce things, not to bring praise to ourselves. The love that we are looking for can only come through him. So those gifts and abilities are meant to be used to bring glory to him so that we can let others know, hey, there's a God who loves you like crazy more than you can ever imagine. I'm just going to use my gifts and abilities, take it or leave it. I'm going to bring glory to God, and whoever wants him will find him through what God has given me to do for his glory. But there's a deeper layer of truth, and that's what I want us to catch this morning. Because this is not about a man and a woman. I told you, it's not just a chick flick. This is about we humans and our God. And it's about all the things we think we have to do to get him to love us. Maybe if I can finally just get my act together, finally just start producing something good in my life, maybe this time God will like me. See, she knew God had, she knew God had looked on her. She even said it. Surely the Lord has looked on my affliction. She knew God heard her. She even said it. The Lord has heard me. And so many people in the church have this basic knowledge. Yes, God sees me. He watches me. He sees everything I do. Yes, he's all up in my business. He hears every word I say. He cares for me. Yes, I know that I've known it from a child. But in my heart of hearts, I don't actually believe he really loves me as much as he loves that person over there. Oh, I'm the Leah in God's life. God is trying to teach us something here about who he is as a husband. Did I say that? Yes. He's a husband to humanity. We are the wife in this relationship. That's a whole other, that's like my favorite sermon to preach is why God made it between a man and a woman because the woman is, the man is wired to do the chasing. This Christian God is the God who chases and never stops chasing. He's not the deadbeat husband on a couch waiting for you to come around. (sighs) He's the Christian God. He's the Christian God. He's not sitting out there in a cabin somewhere waiting for you to finally get desperate enough to come beg him to help you. No, he's the God who chases. He's the God who chases. He will hunt you down. He will hunt you down to let you know he loves you. And how much he loves you so i want to make a case for us being for god calling himself not just our friend not just god our father and he is isaiah 54 5 i'm going to fire off some scriptures jot them down so you can look them up later i might go too fast for you rebecca so just jot them down scriptures about god as husband isaiah 54 5 your maker is your husband The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer, there it is, is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. And he's calling himself our husband, spiritually. Hosea 2.16, it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me husband and no longer call me master. This is God talking to his people. Jeremiah 31.31. My covenant, which they broke. This is a marriage covenant between God and his people. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them. How sad. Jeremiah 2.1, I remembered the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through the hard times, through the dry times, when there was nobody around. When everything looked hopeless, this verse is saying, God, as the husband is saying, I remember even in that time, when we were dirt poor, when we first got married, and we, had, we didn't have two dimes to rub together, and, and you had nothing, you loved me. God is saying, I remember that. I, you were like that young bride, that fresh new love, when you first come to Jesus, and it's like the honeymoon phase. Jesus! And God is saying, don't lose that don't lose that i want to always be a husband to you ephesians 5 we don't have to turn there you can study that chapter but ephesians 5 speaks of marriage as a great mystery and Paul says, the reason why marriage is a mystery is because it's actually a model for Christ and the church. I set up marriage as a way to show you how Christ loves the church. And how does he love her? He tells us how Christ loves the church by telling husbands, you got to nurture and cherish your wife and love her more than you love your own flesh. That's intense. That's intense. But the scripture is saying if you want to know how God loves the church, how Christ loves his church, men show your wives that way. Show them. It's a, it's a marriage, is a model for God's love for his people. There's another verse that says, I am jealous with you. I don't, I didn't write down this reference. I'm sorry, but it says, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. This is Paul writing to the church. I have betrothed you, made you engaged, to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, spiritually speaking, like nobody else, only him. Where is it? 2 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, verse 2. Thank you. So there's the, the case for God as husband. So let's go back to our story in Genesis 29. She has three sons. She has not succeeded in getting her husband to love her. And we know this because she says, this time will my husband become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And now let's look at verse 35 because somewhere between verse 34 and 35, Leah undergoes this transformation in her identity. Somehow she comes to realize the great mystery of the universe. And actually, Paul calls it a mystery in Colossians. He says, behold, he he speaks about this mystery that's been hidden for generations, but now God has revealed it to the Gentiles, meaning not just to Jesus's original Jewish people, but to everybody in the world. This great mystery and it is this Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's one of my favorite verses. That is in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think I wrote that down. It's in Colossians 127. Thank you. Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope. In other words, if there's any hope of glory, if there's any hope of getting praise for yourself, that approval you're looking for, that feeling of being perfectly and unconditionally loved, That praise we try to heap up on ourselves through all the things we think we have to do and be. This is saying, actually, the only hope for that, the hope of glory is actually only Christ in you. When Christ's spirit takes up residence in your life, when you invite him in and he comes to live inside of you, you you have all the approval and love you will ever need. I said, you have all the approval and love you will ever need when Christ comes to live inside of you. So somehow, Leah had this revelation that God was her source, that she no longer had to look to even her husband as her source. This is heavy. This is intense. She no longer had to even, she could actually be okay without her husband's love. If she had his love, God's love. And how do we know she came to this? Because in verse 35, something changes. It says, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. I am no longer going to be seeking praise for myself by trying and trying and trying because that has not worked. Now." I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to put the praise on him. When you focus on God, your maker, when you t- flip that around and make him the whole focus of your life where you are no longer consumed with heaping up praise for yourself, all you can do every day is praise you, praise you. You are worthy of my worship. Someone has said worship. The word means worth Whatever is worth The most to you is what you will worship. When praising God becomes your focus so that you are no longer worried about yourself, keeping up praise and approval for yourself, because you know how much God loves you, it'll change your life. As I've said, and this is kind of my life statement, this would be my signature statement. How much would it change your life? If you knew how well loved you are by God, how much would it change your entire demeanor, your behavior, every decision you make, everything you say, every move you make, every place you go, everything you do, every thought that you think? How much would it change your life if you knew how much God actually loves you? Somehow Leah caught that. She conceived again and said, This time, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, which literally means, what do you think? Praise, and it says, then she stopped bearing. In other words, she stopped trying. God wants to bring you and I to such a place of rest where we we realize there's nothing, there's a song we sing that says, you will never be more loved than you are right now. I I have never been more loved than I am right now. When you really know that here and not just here, there's no more trying, trying to make people happy, trying to win approval, trying to heap up praise for yourself. A proper understanding of God's love for us results in praise for him. A proper understanding of God's love for us results in undying continual praise to him. Finally, as I've said, I always want to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament. I want to show you Jesus in every book of the Bible. If you go to Genesis 49, Jacob is at the end of his life And he's praying a blessing over his kids, and he gets to Judah, this fourth child that was born, his fourth son. He comes to Judah, and he says something very interesting. In Genesis 49, verse 8, Genesis 49, verse 8, here's now this baby, his name means praise, praise. He's grown up now. His father, his dying father, his Jacob, is laying hands on him and blessing him. And he says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Listen carefully to these very prophetic words. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down to you. Your father's children, think of this. Now, some of you are going to crack this code, right? Like you're already on it. Your father's children shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. That's a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion. Who shall rouse him? And then he says this to Judah. The scepter, okay, that's the staff that a king holds. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. In other words, my son Judah, your descendants, there's always going to be a king. You are in the lineage of kings. There, are all, there is always going to be a king on the throne of Israel, and it's going to come through you, Judah, you. Until Shiloh comes. Well, who's Shiloh? That's a capital S. It was understood that Shiloh was the word for Messiah, until the Messiah comes through you, Judah, there's always going to be a king until the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords sits on the throne, not just of Israel, but of the whole earth, the throne of the whole earth, and he rules and reigns forever and ever. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So he says this to Judah, and then, finally connecting to Revelation, Revelation verse, chapter 5, verse 8. I'm going to read this passage. Revelation 5, verse 8. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? The, this... This has to do with things that are going to happen at the end, right? At the end of the age. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I, I wept much. This is John the Beloved talking and he's, he sees this vision of something that's going to take place in heaven. He says, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, remember Judah, fourth child of Leah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb with a capital L as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy. You are worthy. That's praise. What are they doing? They're giving praise to the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah means praise. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. This is Jesus' death on the cross. The lion becomes the sacrificial lamb. You have redeemed us, there's that word, redeemed us to God by your blood, and I love this, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And it goes on to say talk about thousands of thousands, thousands time 10,000s time 10,000s singing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature in heaven and under the earth and as such as are in the sea Everyone saying blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne. The lion of the tribe of Judah became the sacrificial lamb and he died and he bled to demonstrate his love for you and for me. It says in Romans 5 this is how God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and he came. Through the lineage of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is called. Why did Jesus come through Judah? Jesus came from the tribe of Judah to show us this great truth about the Christian God. Because Jesus, when he came to earth, he had to live. He had to live that life where he was not seeking approval for himself. He was bringing glory to God every single day, every single day through everything he did bringing glory to his Father. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah because he lived to glorify the Father and to lift up the Father. He lived in the Father's love, and he did that to show us this is how to live. It's the only way to live. I would like to close by singing that song, the new song that we did today. Is every, is every Can we do that? Um, Praise to the Father, the heart of the Father. Can we close with that song? Maybe Dave, if you can get the lights and what I would like to do